0: I feel like this is a really good time to be in the library business. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're right. The world is nuts. And everyone's yelling at each other. And if you disagree with someone, they're your enemy. Library is kind of a sanctuary from that. Mm -hmm. We disagree with each other all the time. (laughs) But no one thinks you're a jerk. I'm Brandon
1: Dawson, and this is The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. If you've already heard episode 38 with thanatologist Colin Perry on the work she's doing around death, dying, and grief, then you already heard a little bit about the Mercantile Library, where we recorded that episode. Well, today, you're going to hear a bit more, because my guest for this episode is the executive director of the Mercantile Library, John Faherty. When I was a kid, libraries were these quiet, dark, kind of ageless places where time seemed to stand still. Today, it kind of seems like libraries are more like rebel bases, outposts of intellectual integrity in an age of aggressive apathy and fake news. There are so many little details that make the mercantile library great, but behind it all, kind of the secret formula, the special sauce is the people. The staff of the library are amazing, smart, engaged people who understand a library as a beacon in dark times. You might think that the executive director of a 160-plus-year-old library would be a quiet, serious person. John Faherty, as you will hear, is neither quiet nor particularly serious. He's lively, self-effacing, and as you'll hear, funny as hell. And he's someone on whom the serendipitous uniqueness of his vocation is definitely not lost. John and I met for drinks on a steamy Friday afternoon at the end of June at Vodka Bar, an Eastern European-inspired vodka bar with spirits and cuisine from the old country located just a few blocks north of the library on Main Street in Over the Rhine, Cincinnati. Owner Sarah Dwarak and her crew delivered delicious cocktails and prepared to open the place as we talked. You can hear some of that around us going on. I had so much fun talking with John about the history of the library, about his job both how he got it and how he does it, and about the crucial role that the library plays in today's world. Hopefully, you enjoy this conversation even half as much as I did. Here is my conversation with John Faherty on The Distiller. First of all, welcome. Thanks, Thank for, you. thanks Thank for coming. You for thanks having for having me. me. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for making the journey on a, what is turning into a hot, steamy it's miserable. Friday afternoon. <laughs> yeah. It's a little muggy out there. Let's start off with, you're the executive director of the Mercantile Library. There are people that live in Cincinnati that are going to know what that means, but there's a host of people that don't live anywhere near her and won't know right. what that means. Let's start off by talking about the library, and then we'll talk about you and, and what you do. But give people just sort of the first elevator pitch of what the Mercantile Library is.
0: Um, so the Mercantile Library, wow, that's a tough one. We're 184 years old Um We were born before there were public libraries, so no one had access to books Mm -hmm. other than very wealthy families. This place was formed um, under the idea that let's just collaborate together, let's get all of our books together, and we'll buy books together, and we'll form our own library, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a pretty simple origin story, and we've we've really been still trying to live up to it every day because it was such a great start, Um, and we have survived... For a long time now, um, in part because we're so great and in part because we have the best lease in the world. We have a dollar-a-year lease for <laughs> 10,000 years that we paid 10, up thousand front. 10,000 years. Yes. We're like, we're in like year 180 Holy of cow. our first 10,000-year lease. It's renewable, um, <laughs> <laughs> which has allowed us to be – frankly, that, that lease um, – There used to be hundreds of these libraries across the country, Mm -hmm. and now there's like 18 of them.
1: So did libraries start off only at academic institutions before public? Yeah,
0: libraries were for rich families that had their own private libraries, and then universities were only rich families which send only their sons. Okay. So it was very limited access to books. Books were expensive.
1: And then there's a membership library, so a group of people in 1835 decide we're going to pool our resources. And then you can you can sign up and pay a due and be a part of the thing. Absolutely. What? How does that lease come about? I mean, there's got to well, be a good story behind a. There 000, is a really good a, lease a 10, story. Year renew- renewable um, lease.
0: The building. We've always been renters. We've never owned the building. And in the first ten years, the building burned pretty much to the ground. Oh, wow! Twice. Um, at which point, the building owners said, "We don't like owning buildings. They keep burning down." Um, we're out. And mm. our library membership, uh, we're about 10 years into our existence at this point, really wanted the building to stick around. And for some reason, they desperately did not want to be rent- uh, owners of the building. Okay. So they. Um, In 1845, came up with $10,000, which is a fair amount of money, Sure, and gave it to the building owners and said, this is a gift. You build your own building. All we want is our library back, just one floor on that of your building uh, for the next 10,000 years. Wow. In the same place you're in now? Yeah. It's actually tied to the address. So... Like, the building got torn down in 1900, and yeah. the owners of the building had to put us up for four years. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah. I bet they loved that. It's a pretty advantageous lease. I think at the time, at the beginning, it was very advantageous to the building owners. Right. Um, who probably thought we were fools and rubes. And now it's turned out to be a really good deal for us. Man, what, a, what, what foresight? Uh, and it was written by Alfonso Taft, who had just arrived in town about four years previously. Okay, and um, was a very good lawyer. Father of son, father, father of, of William Howard, William, and um, the Taft Museum Taft. Okay, so he was a very good lawyer. People have tried to get out of that lease many times, but it's pretty he, ironclad. He wrote it
1: rock solid yeah, at the time. Yeah. Wow, that's oh, thank you very much. Thank you. And it is, so you occupy the 11th and 12th floors of the mercantile building at uh, 414 Walnut in downtown Cincinnati. Um, What else is in that building?
0: Regular old offices. Okay. Like lawyers. Just renters. Yeah. Everyone's a renter. All right. Um, It's kind of a jewel. It's 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 a building you'd probably pass by. A lot of people have passed by it. It's right around the corner from Fountain Square, yeah. and it's just another old brick building in the city, but it's pretty, it's relatively tall, and we're up there, but people come up there all the time and are just kind of like, oh, I had no idea this was here. Right. This is really pretty spectacular.
1: I got to um, imagine everybody's, you, you get to witness everybody's first time experience when they walk pretty into neat. the
0: place. It's, um, yeah. especially uh, young people love it, mm-hmm. old people love it. Um, it feels kind of Harry Potter-esque. I mean, it's just yeah. really, it, it's a, I think it's probably the prettiest space in the city. Yeah. Um, and there's others the, that will rival it. but I don't Right,
1: know. the old staircase. And it's pretty great. Yeah, that wrought iron old staircase.
0: People are always um, thinking they're not allowed to use it. I'm like, well, it's <laughs> pretty much all
1: we got. <laughs> that's why it's so. there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, 80,000 titles is what you say on the, yeah.
0: on um, the website. That's probably true. It might be a little bit more than that now.
1: Okay. And people pay a membership fee to use it, but people can use it.
0: People can come in. Uh, People use it. We're not standing at the door with guards. Okay. Um, You really only go in there if you really want to go there. Yeah. It's, you don't happen upon it. You're right. I wish more people could happen upon it. I mean, the beauty is we're up on the 11th floor. The bad news is we're up on the 11th floor. Sure. People aren't sure we're there. Right. Um, you got to want to go there. You got to want to go. You're probably going intentionally, uh, but everyone who comes, I always say, please use it, try it. Yeah. I, I, my thinking is, if I can get you through the door three times, mm-hmm. you will absolutely become a member. Yeah. Uh, yep. Membership's thriving. Membership's higher than it's been in well over a hundred years.
1: Well, and that's in no small part to you and what you've been doing and the 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 event series. So this is if you're in Cincinnati. Some of the best stuff that comes through town comes through the Mercantile Library. Yeah. I mean, I was first aware of it. Uh, I moved here 15 years ago, and I think the first time the library came across my radar was when Salman Rushdie um, yeah. was speaking there in what was probably 2005 or 2006. Um, that, uh, you had Margaret Atwood this year. Yep. Uh, you recently just had Chuck D. Uh, I mean, you guys we're have... are on a good run. You are on a seriously are, good like, run.
0: And it's not slowing down. You know, we're trying to line up next year and the year after that, you, you, you kind of book in advance in yep. the, in the, in the library world, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny too. So there's a library world. Yeah. That, that's... And oddly enough, I'm in it, which is a be a shock to everyone who ever taught me in grammar school, high school or college.
1: Well, that was going to be my first question is, did, is this, did you have any idea that this was what you would be doing?
0: Oh no! And what not would, at all.
1: What would eighteen-year-old John say if he if he knew uh, you know that later on you were going to be the executive director of a private membership library?
0: I would have I would have seen the humor of it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> when I when I applied for the job, this was it was four years ago. About now, okay. I, I think it was I started in June of, I guess, fifteen. Um, I got the job which was way more arduous than I had thought. I didn't know a gazillion people were going to apply for it. I applied for it just because I thought the space was so pretty, uh-huh. and I was in the newspaper business. Um, I applied for the job. After months, I got the job, and I called my mom and dad, who didn't know I had been applying. They live in Chicago, and I called them, and I told my, t- <laughs> my dad, said, well, how much of a haircut are you going to have to take? <laughs> I said, no haircut, Dad, I'm, I'm fine. Um, he said, so you're going to be a librarian? Um, with a certain amount of disdain. Yeah. I said, no, Pops, I'm not really a librarian. I'm I'm running the library. It's, we have a librarian. I'm, <laughs> uh, and, and then, so he comes around. He's like, all right, all right. That, that seems like good news. Um, seems like good seems news. Seems like good news. What a great it, phrase. He, oh, it gets so much worse. He hangs up the phone to talk to my mother, but he doesn't. Hang up the phone. He thinks he oh, hangs up the no. phone and he turns to her and he says, All the people in all the world and they hired that kid oh to run a library. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, he still doesn't know that I heard him say that. Oh, seriously. And since then, he has uh, mm-hmm. passed on and oh. is, uh, has gone to heaven. Mm-hmm. Or somewhere, not knowing that I heard him say, all the people in all the you world, never, they that kid. You hired never brought that, that back? You never brought
1: it up? <laughs>
0: it that was, was so perfect. <laughs> yes, Aww. I didn't want him to know.
1: Yeah. Oh, Ooh. thank you very much. Cocktails thank you. have been delivered. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for joining us. And we will, for people that are listening, uh, share the menu and details about the vodka bar, this beautiful, beautiful space that we're in, and Kyle Wolf is taking photos, and you'll be able to see it all on the uh, all on the website. So, what did you think you were going to do when when you you said you were in TV? You said you were in the newspaper business yeah. for a little while. Did you go to school for journalism?
0: I was a history major. Okay, so basically, yes, yeah, you might as well <laughs> I have. had to right. do something. Right, uh, I had been. Graduated from. I'm um, 53. I graduated from college in '87 and kind of goofed around in Chicago and Boston, back and forth for a few years, and then got into journalism, um, got into television, and moved west and moved to Albuquerque, um, Portland, and then Phoenix. Okay. And then we moved. Doing what to, kind of television? Doing uh, news. Local television news. Okay. Yep sausage grinding local as a reporter started as a reporter became a producer okay um and then moving up markets yeah that's a weird world you you know same job bigger market or you know smaller city bigger job you you, It there's this weird accordion yeah I was Um, in radio
1: for 15 years so they're they're kind of parallel yeah parallel lives
0: parallel awful lives
1: exactly (laughs) yes I was I say I was trying to get out of radio for 15 years
0: Yes. Yeah. I was trying to get out of Phoenix for 14 years. Oh, God, I hear that. Uh, I love the first 15 minutes.
1: I, Phoenix is one of maybe three cities in the United States, and sorry, everybody in Phoenix, that I have no love for. Like that big, sprawling expanse it's, of a place.
0: Very nice people there. I made yeah, good. Fr- sure. I like to say I made good friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Three kids were born there, so I have a lot of, but I was ready to go.
1: Yeah, I hear you. So, moving around, you thought that's, I mean, so for me, I I never thought radio was going to be my career. I fell from one job to the next. Was there intention in that, or was it just sort of taking what came to you?
0: I really loved print, really liked it a lot.
1: Okay, even when you were on TV?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And so, I got a chance to switch back to print. I started, my first job was in print, switched to TV, um, because I thought print was dying, and Went to TV and thought, "Oh, wait, hold on! TV's dying. <laughs> I should go back to print." Right? Which Turns out it's just journalism shows that's dying. Why, shows how smart I am at making decisions, <laughs> um, and then did so about ten years in print and ten years in uh, local television news, mm-hmm. and then um, and then into the library, the library the logical, industrial complex. The logical move into <laughs> yes. the
1: library business, where yeah. everybody ends up going. So you're you you're in Cincinnati working for the Enquirer?
0: Yeah. I was there for um there for 3 years, I think. Okay. Three. As a I was a, a reporter, reporter yeah. and uh my wife was the managing editor and I was thinking man, we can't both be in, in newspaper. Yeah. This is this is all we know all how this one story basket. ends. Yeah, um, four kids, college is coming, and so I was like, "Well, one of us has to get out," and mm-hmm. it turns out we both did. Okay. Um, so she works at Fifth Third Bank, and I work at the library.
1: And Wisely so, as it turns out, <laughs> given the state of the of print. Uh,
0: I know. It's yeah. It's really hard. There's there's some very nice, very smart people over there working really hard, and yeah. uh, I. Uh, the product just isn't as good as it should be, needs to be, on so many days.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there could be a whole... I'm sure there are whole shows about media consolidation and corporate ownership and the, <laughs> the damage that that's done to... Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the story in radio, it was a story in TV, and certainly the story in journalism. More so, even, maybe, than what yeah. people want to blame on the internet. But
0: Yeah, there's a million reasons. Yeah,
1: yeah. But you... So, at what point does this job come across your path and why do you think that's actually something I could do?
0: I mean, I, I do like to read. Okay. <laughs> I am literate. Okay. <laughs> I do like to clarify that I am capable of reading. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, you know, it just seemed like if you walk into that place if you're listening to this and you've never walked in there, it'll be hard to know. But like the minute you walk in there, you just think, this place is amazing. Yeah. Um, in the in like my last year in journalism, I had done a couple. Um, we called them storytelling events, mm-hmm. and they were really big. They turned out we were it was relatively new in the market, and we did two big events, and each one had like over 400 people. Oh wow. Um, We were very good speakers, got really lucky. I was, like, smart enough, not dumb enough to not know how dumb I was. Uh Um, But it all worked out nicely anyway. And I kind of liked it. I kind of liked bringing people together and everyone in the same room and talking Mm -hmm. about stories. Um, And then, like, when this job opened, uh, my predecessor, Albert Pyle, had been there more than 20 years and... um, he, he was done. He wanted, he wanted out, and so I think he gave him, like, a year's notice. Okay. Um, and they opened up this search, and I just thought, that seems like such an incredible job. Yeah. You know, because of that lease, it, it's really germane for today because it allows us to bring in Chuck D and Margaret Atwood and Colson Whitehead and mm-hmm. Jennifer Egan. These are just all people who have had in the last... Um, in the last 12 months these are these are incredible thinkers and yeah. writers and they don't go anywhere for free right so we pay them
1: mm-hmm. um, but the fact pay, that you're we, not putting so much money into overhead
0: right yeah I, you know these other these other mercantile libraries or membership libraries they all have a variety of names Athenaeums um, which is a terrible name but <laughs> They, at first, I envied them because a lot of them own their own building. Like, mm-hmm. there's a big, beautiful one in Boston that's like five stories tall and the, the best location in the city. And I envied the woman who was the director there. I envied her space. And then she said, Well, you know, I just spent $400,000 on my roof. Wow. And I'm going to spend about four hundred more on bathrooms yeah. next year. It's hard yeah. to. Eat. So she was spending all of her time right. raising money. For the grounds in the building, and we have four hundred thousand dollars to spend. We're bringing in yeah, Margaret Atwood, right? You know that's Min Jin Lee. Yeah. These are you want to bring them in? You want to? Pay, you have to pay them, mm-hmm. and so it's really great. Um, and not to get too deep into the weeds, but a couple of years ago, a guy I work with, Chris uh, Messick. He had this idea. We were trying to figure out how to increase membership or, more importantly, to uh, do a better job retaining the members we had, Mm -hmm. and he had this idea to um, make attendance at events free for members. Um, He did the math, and he said, you know, we're not bringing in that much money on ticket sales. So... It just answered a lot of people would say, Well, why do I want to become a member of the library?
1: If I still have to pay for the event.
0: If I still have and if it was a fair question, we had a we had a lower level for members, lower level lower price point for members, but being able to say, Oh, if you're a member,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you get all this also. Yep. Um and that was really a game changer. All of, you know, all of a sudden, all of our events. We used to have hundred people at events, and now we're north of two hundred. Yeah. We had two hundred and twenty-five people this week uh, for a woman named Karen Ataya, and she is the editor at the Washington Post of uh, uh, Jamal Khashoggi, mm-hmm. who de- was murdered this year. And this, yep. and she came and spoke um, as our Harriet Beecher Stowe Award winner, and she was incredible so smart and so passionate about free speech yeah and you know we paid her she came and everyone loved it yeah. it's it's been fun do you feel because so there's probably not a
1: private library series there's not a circuit that these people are right. on certainly they're speaking about something and they're going around but do you do you feel sort of like a an outpost outpost of Civilization and culture and rational thought, uh,
0: especially in today 's America I feel like um, I feel like this is a really good time to be in the library business yeah because yeah you 're right, the world is fucking nuts, yeah. and everyone 's yelling at each other, and no one 's nice to each other, and if you disagree with someone they 're your enemy um, Library is kind of a sanctuary from that. Mm-hmm. We disagree with each other all the time, <laughs> um, but you know, no one thinks you're a jerk, right? Even if you are a jerk, you are like, oh well, I don't like his ideas. Yeah. Or, I don't like her. What, what, what she said, but, but there's a place for discourse, right? Yeah. It, it's kind of it's kind of great.
1: Yeah, how much of that involves is involved in what you choose to. Put on who you choose to bring in?
0: We, you know, just like everyone else, we're trying to like, you know, there's, you okay. look for the intersection of like, is this person in, is this, is this person good at what he or she does? Is, mm-hmm. is she a great writer? Is she a great speaker? Um, and then, you know, you run it through, okay, like, will people want to come and hear him or her? Mm-hmm. Um, Are they yeah. any good in person? Are they good? Right. Can they do it?
1: Yeah. Because there's a lot of writers who,
0: A lot of people became writers because they don't like other human beings and other human (laughs) beings don't like them. Exactly. (laughs) There's a
1: lot of writers you don't want to meet in person. No,
0: they're awful. (laughs) They don't disappoint you. (laughs) They are exactly what you'd hope. (laughs) Who you fear. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But sometimes they're great. Yeah. And having, being able to access video helps a lot. You wouldn't think it, but...
1: You can actually see them doing
0: that. Right. Yeah. Um, we've had speakers who were not good speakers, mm-hmm. but great writers. Right, right. Um, you know, you have to start with, are they a good writer? Yeah. And then, and which is kind of a fun thing. You're like, that's, your, that's the point we're starting at. Okay. Can he or she be, is, is he or she saying something important right now? Yeah. Um, it's just kind of a cool gig. Yeah, absolutely. I got to, you know... I don't, I'm not one of those people who has a great job and doesn't know it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're pretty, if pretty it's aware any of the special i
0: <laughs> uh, I'm completely aware of how fortunate I am to have this gig. It, who
1: has, for better or for worse, and you can either tell tales or not, surprised you the most about what you thought they would be versus what they brought to the room?
0: Um, Min Jin Lee, um... Came in and like blew everyone away. Really, um, she's an incredible writer. She writes like one book every decade, hmm. and you don't know what you're going to get. She sounds almost reclusive. Um, hmm. She was so warm and so engaging. Hmm. Every like everyone who left that night said like pretty much said something along the lines of she was my favorite speaker you guys have ever brought. Right in. on, wow. Um, People, you know, people surprise you. Like, Atwood, um, she's a pretty big star. Yeah. Um, you don't know what you're going to get with someone who's had that type of success. Yeah. Although, when you think, you know, when you look back on it in hindsight, she's had an extraordinary success. But she's not young. You know, she didn't, right. she's not like a 30-year-old who suddenly is, no, it know, took a big thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and certainly her star is for 40 years recently
1: on the rise again right.
0: in a way that you might not have been able to predict. And she was she completely understood the room and and mm. she was really smart and gave everyone what they wanted and then um at the end she was like let's go have a couple drinks this was last year's neon <laughs> no, lecture seriously? yeah it's our one fancy, She's not looking to go hide in the hotel she was,
1: Oh that's great
0: yeah some people would like run for the elevator Yeah, but she said where do we got to go for an ice drink? I love it. That's um, great to hear. She's oh, yeah. funny as hell. Like I've heard her. I can tell you, you don't want to put ice in your scotch in front of her. Really? You will She's get. She's got a position? She does. <laughs> <laughs> and the position is, how dare you? Neat. <laughs> Neat <laughs> yes. is the position. She said, well, it's fine to do if you want to ruin it.
1: Oh, I love that. Um, Water? <laughs> <laughs> Water,
0: no, or like? Nothing. Nothing. I, I did tell like, what about that little drop? She said, no, 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 no. 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 Don't mess with Just it. Just drink it. I love it. Take it.
1: <laughs> Just drink Just it. Just shut up. Show up and keep up. I heard her recently on, there's a podcast that I listen to. It's, it's the worst name for a podcast. It's called Conversations with Tyler. That is a pretty bad name. Um, for it's a, a podcast. lovely podcast. It's this. podcast. Okay. Well, this it would sky. almost have to be. Yeah, uh,
0: and what's and, the name of this podcast?
1: The Distiller. It's right. Okay. are right. oh. on your stickers. <laughs>
0: the stickers are amazing. It's right there for, for you. For a podcast, you have amazing. Thank you. Uh, visual. Thank you. Components. That is our
1: for, that is our our tagline. Is for a podcast, we have the best stickers. That's our that's our selling point.
0: Podcast is fine. Yeah. But this sticker is amazing. Right. You got to have something. Truly great. You
1: got to have a selling point, and that's ours. As long as, we, as, long as we're outstanding at something. I, I heard her interview, and it was obvious that she was very good natured and did not have a super high opinion of the line of questioning that she was down. Oh, yeah. Drawn yeah down. She
0: could be tough.
1: Yeah. But she was a lot of fun. Even, even still, listening to her navigate that line of questioning was a lot of fun.
0: I, um, we had Curtis Sittenfeld mm-hmm. ask her the questions.
1: Um, and for people that don't know Curtis Sittenfeld Cincinnati based Cincinnati
0: grew up in Cincinnati Mm -hmm. Uh, her brother is on council her mom and dad are wonderful people great writer what she got three four books out Uh, at least yeah she's very accomplished Um, and she came and she was a very good sport Mm -hmm. Uh, she and I have become friendly over the last couple years Mm -hmm. I I can't call her a friend but we're friendly Um, I like her a lot She's come and done some big events at the library. She always includes the Mercantile Library in her books. Right on. Um, and so I asked her to come and ask the questions. Which is a big ask. It was a huge ask. She's very nice at the library. She did it. And then, you know, the, the question asker, I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you know, like, that's a hard spot. It can like, be rough. S- sometimes the person's like, Yeah. Well, you're an idiot. That yeah. should be obvious to you. Yeah. Or, of course I wouldn't do, you know. Right. Um, so I was sitting there up on the stage thinking, I really owe uh, Curtis a stiff drink.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. You got to be a pretty good sport, especially to go, uh, you know, toe to toe with Margaret Atwood. She was
0: so great, and I really wanted someone like a someone who's newer in the yep. in her career path, and someone who's been on it for literally decades or yeah. generations with Margaret. I mean, she's been she's been doing this for fifty years, yeah, uh, give or take. I mean. Well, yeah, I mean, time. Handmaid's Tale was 1984, 85? Yeah. Um, so. She wrote it in 84, and I, I think she wrote it in 84, and it came out in 85. She okay. wrote it. I found out she wrote it on a rented typewriter in Berlin. <laughs> um, isn't that, isn't that yeah. perfect? Yeah. Yeah. So that book, yeah, that, that's 35 years? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, give or take. Yeah. Wow.
1: So... Uh, what do you do? I mean, that's the thing. God, you're the you exec- Sound like my kids.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. What is it what the that hell you, do you do? You know, we come in there, and you're just kind of there. Dad. What do you think you do
1: around right. here? Right. Um, yeah. But no, as the executive director of a
0: private uh, membership library, tell me a little bit about your days. All right. I spent the first half of the day taking credit for everyone else's hard work. Okay. Good job. And then sometimes I'll have a great idea and I'll tell everyone what a great idea it was and then I'll kind of disappear for a week or two. And they roll their eyes. And, and they roll their eyes and I come back and it happens and I take all the credit for that. That is a great job. Oh, it's a really good gig. It's the role I was born to play. <laughs> uh, like Just kind of like privileged can say that? dick walking around. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I actually do Oh God! I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm working. Well, you I, like, so you've talked I, about I, the. I put up chairs. I take chairs out of the closet, sure, and, and set them up, and then the following morning I put the chairs back. <laughs> I make sure the microphone's on. I, I don't know. I I kind of raise money. I kind of well. I would go imagine. That, I would
1: imagine. Who's so? Let's
0: start here. Who do you answer to? Is there a board? I do have a board, okay, and I answer to them. I've right. got I have a twenty four person board, uh, four of whom are the executive committee. I've okay. um, been really fortunate. I, I know there are some nightmare boards in yeah. the world. Uh, I don't have one, so I've been I've been really so, lucky.
1: So for profit, libraries is a nonprofit.
0: We are a profit five hundred one c three. Okay, all right. Um, so you got a
1: nonprofit board. What do they want from you? Like at the end of the day, what is the board expecting? Is it about, uh, is it about membership numbers? Is it about
0: visibility yeah.
1: in the community? Is it, about a, is it about an altruistic mission? I think um,
0: I, I, I've been pretty fortunate. Uh, I, a board's great when it says this is what we want and then they e- either help you or don't or not, let you do or it da- however you not want. not help you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or go um, away
1: and let you accomplish
0: it. Yeah. And, you know, they asked for change. They asked for growth. They, uh, you okay. know, we needed to become, our membership needed to become younger. It needed to become more diverse. Mm-hmm. We needed to bring in new voices. We were, um, we've always been a great library, but mm-hmm. we, I'm not sure that we've always been a great library for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 so,
1: so you came you know, in with a mandate of I came in with a mandate update of things and change get, things and uh,
0: yeah, get let's increase the vitality of this okay. place and let's increase our membership. Now boards always say that yeah, and then you say I I need to make this change and this change and this change and then the board hey, will hey, say hey, wait hey, a second slow down <laughs> we have a tradition here right um <laughs> now, I have been really fortunate that I've had a board that said make all these changes and then when I started making the changes. Um, minor changes. Mm-hmm. You know, we we were great when I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have never said, wait, hold on, that's not the way we do things here. Right. Um, which is, as you know, like a terrible thing. You're like, well, shit, that's not a good reason to not do something.
1: No, that's the thing okay. you don't want to hear. That's right. the death the, knell of... In fact,
0: the reason, the, that's the, a reason to do it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So really lucky. The board has been all in on... Increasing, uh, we're fine. Our membership's good. Mm-hmm. Increasing relevance. Okay. Um, if we're more relevant, more people will want to join us. Yeah. More people will stay members when they are members. Yep. Um, and we're reaching a point where, you know we had an event. It's June. Uh, we had an event the week before last of. Um, We had five drag queens come and tell their personal stories, right? which was just kind of us reacting to – well, it's Pride Week, so it's a a piece of the community. But uh, about two weeks before that, a county library up in Newark, Ohio, was having an event at their library uh, that involved drag queens, and a state lawmaker was so upset about it that – he wrote a letter to the library and said, you can't do this. This is wrong. This is um, evil. This is amoral. This is, you should not get any more public money. Wow, Clearly a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think the library, I mean, I, I'm not them. Maybe they had better, they, but they folded. They were like, okay, we're out. We're not going to do it. We're going to cancel this oh, event. Oh, wow. Which is really lousy. I mean, if a library yeah. can't hold the line on speech... Yep. Who can? Who the hell can? Yep. Um, so I was really disappointed with the lawmaker. I was really disappointed with the library. And I said, well, you know, screw it. We'll have our own <laughs> um, as a response project. We'll do that. And so I asked Penny, uh, Penny Tration, who um, is a, a community builder and drag queen, um to help and she was like yeah we need to do this right now and so her and amy hunter who i work with we um they really put it together nice um this is one of those deals where they put it together and i took all the credit (laughs) but in my defense it was my idea (laughs) but it sounds
1: like it was a pretty damn good idea like it
0: was a good idea we had we had we had a very packed house for that um two of them were in drag three of them were not in drag and they told deeply personal really interesting stories um so that's like kind of a fun yeah like so that's kind of what i do i like try to have ideas yeah and then try to see if they're doable i this is work i technically i'm on the clock now you're working right now don't pay no attention to the drink it's okay immediately in front of me we'll edit that out (laughs) of all the photos no we won't um no but that, yeah, talk, just talking about the libraries
1: yeah no that makes sense and increasing because you are up there on the 11th floor and because unless you have a reason to come in or right. somebody's told you about it and you haven't experienced the magic of it yet right that makes sense um what, what of your it's interesting i heard somebody you know my partner sarah rose uh, and very good poet she's a great poet yeah i i, I think she's Really. Now, good. she's a
0: really good poet.
1: No, I read I've, I work at
0: a library. I'm allowed to bestow this title. <laughs> yes. Terrific poet.
1: <laughs> she is a I you know, we live together, and so there's just that's the person I live with, and occasionally I crack open one of her books and remember that she is an absolutely badass, amazing yeah. poet who, who kind of brings me to my knees. Yeah which is kind of wonderful. Um uh but she described you as I was asking her, I said I'm gonna be talking to John today. What would oh, you God. ask? What would you ask? John? That's okay. Um, and particularly she described you as a forward-thinking person, um, and it was there wasn't a question out of that, but what came to my mind is there are a lot of people who faced with sort of that charge of you come into a historical institution and somebody says, make it more relevant or make it more forward-thinking, have a lot of good ideas but don't bring them to life. What is it about you that gives you the ability to both have the idea and make it happen as opposed to maybe somebody that would come in and just say, well, gosh, I wish this was a little more
0: relevant. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think um, I'm guessing it comes out of being in the newspaper business or in the television business before that. Like you show up in the morning, like, well, I got to, I got to, sometimes you walk in and they say, go do this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes They walk you walk in, and they say, "What are you doing today?" (laughs) You got to figure it out to come up with idea, and it's an idea that you can do it, and then you have to do it, and then you have to write it, and and and, you know, the deadline's at eight p.m. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I think the ability to go from zero to sixty in a day um, probably was really good training for me, as a as like start with nothing, end up with something that you've got to build. Um, for me, it was great. I can't. I most people would tell you that I can't stay focused on something for too long. I am. You would kindly say I, 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 my, a little. You would kindly call me scatterbrained. Uh huh. Um, I'm with you. But being able to make something and then do it. Find a job that that appreciates and then just that move skill. Move on to the next one. Right. To me, that's like. Yeah. That's gravy you're like ah, oh, this is terrific i yeah. only have to do it this one time
1: right you don't have to do and the same thing over and over again it's over and we do it It gets yeah. to be new every day right yeah. kind of neat people would think that being the executive director of a library is not something that is different every day but it sounds like that's oh, yeah. not necessarily the case it's
0: way it's a way better gig than anyone would know hmm. well certainly than i knew um maybe everyone else knew you, <laughs> I was, like, floored at how many people applied for the job. Um, how m- I mean, what are we talking over about? Over 100. Okay. And if I had known that many people were going to apply for it, I never would have applied for it. I would right. have been like, oh, I got no shot, um, which turned into a valuable lesson for me, like, never say no to yourself. Mm, yeah. Let someone else say no to you. Um, this is one of those deals where I absolutely would have said no to myself, mm-hmm. and because I was so dim-witted and ill-informed, you didn't know what you were getting didn't, yourself I into. I had no idea that Which like, is of course everyone would want this job. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it's a great gig. Being able to work in the, I'd be mean, like we're kind of in the intellectual realm, we're kind of in the publishing realm, mm-hmm. um, but we're really in the community business, like that. And this is a city that. Um, you know, it kind of celebrates community, mm-hmm. but it's a really fun spot to work at. Like we have people. You know, the joke is that like we're the book club. Our members are the are the members of their book club who actually read the book.
1: Yeah, yeah. That
0: yeah. they are they are absolutely there for the wine. Yep. <laughs> We go through. So you would be shocked. No mistake.
1: You'd be shocked wine. at how much
0: wine the library goes through. I'm going to start keeping a, some sort of record because we go through a ton of wine. So we are there for the wine, but we actually read the book. We have people right. who show up. We, did, we year before last, we did. Um, we decided to do to do war in, we wanted to do war and peace, but we wanted to do it make it more accessible. So okay. we called it "War and Peace in Pieces," and we read it over four months, and it was 300 pages a month. Okay. And at the end, we drank vodka, and <laughs> we didn't think five people would sign up for it. We had 25 people. We had to stop. We're like that's it. We can't have any more people. Right. Um, we're doing. That was War and Peace. We're doing Crime and Punishment right I now. I really wanted
1: to do Crime and Punishment. Uh, I was talking to Amy about that. Turns out these are
0: great books.
1: Oh, I love Crime yes, and yeah. Punishment. <laughs> yes. Turns well, out I read War classic and Peace literature for the is first actually good time.
0: stories. Some of it is really, really quite good.
1: Yeah. This no, <laughs> Crime and Punishment is one of my favorites. And the idea, the idea of sitting around talking to people, it was pretty especially great. Especially with everything that's going on right now, the idea of getting an hour to sit down and talk to people about a book sounds like maybe the it's best thing great. in the world.
0: We're doing a series called POTUS which we are reading the definitive biography of every American president. So Hmm. we started with George Washington. Um, Today we're doing Harrison, a local boy. Local boy makes good. Um, One of three? Is that right? More than that. Taft, Harrison.
1: I'm not a Cincinnati boy. Is Grant technically ours? I'm the wrong person to ask. Like
0: seven states... Mm-hmm. lay claim to Grant.
1: He's like Lincoln, where everybody yeah. wants to have a piece he's of like,
0: him. He's like Lincoln, but a lot easier. <laughs> he has apparently slept in a lot of places. He got around. Uh, yeah. Grant slept here. Like, apparently, he slept everywhere. <laughs> so, uh, no, we're missing a couple. I think we have five United States presidents. Okay. I think we're behind, like, Virginia and Massachusetts. That sounds right. I'm almost, I'm tempted to look in my... <laughs> We I wish have, we, I wish there was a library in the of house. Research assistants me, get me, on that. If only there was a library around here. <laughs> Let's call Amy. <laughs> yeah,
1: we'll get Amy on that. But you're this series, POTUS. So how POTUS, long does that series run?
0: Oh my God, it's like well, we're doing like six presidents a year, and okay. we're on President forty-five. Yeah, forty-five.
1: Yeah. So you got um, some. You got so, about a decade oh, worth. Yeah,
0: we're gonna do a lot there. of them, and. I thought it was, like, the an insane project. Um, Brendan Cull said, no, it's a great project, and I'll do it. And now,
1: what is the project? I mean, what do you say when you're doing them? Are people reading biographies? He is
0: leading the discussion group okay. every two months oh, for wow. 45 presidents. Cool. Um, up to and including Harrison. It's like, sure, George Washington, that's easy. Abraham Lincoln. Great. Yeah. FDR, terrific. We get in There's bulk, a whole bunch of presidents. They could walk in the room right now. You're like, yeah, who are you again? Millard Fillmore. Yeah, hello, like, Mr. Fillmore. Sit down. Let's talk about let's read a book about you. Right. But so you know, POTUS, which seems like an outlandish idea, we needed to add a second class. Mm-hmm. Um there we do one in the evening and we do one at lunchtime. We did there was, I we were having one today at lunch mm-hmm. at noon. Um Old people, young people, rich people, poor people, they're just like... I love that. They're in. It's, it's really great. If you if you looked at Cincinnati through the lens of the Mercantile Library, you would love this city. Um, it might be why I love it here so much. Is no, it?
1: it makes sense. It is a particularly... Cincinnati's a weird city, and we've talked about this. It's got all of this great history. Then it's got sort of the decade of, of white flight and... The death of industrialism here in Cincinnati and then it's got you know sort of a progressive renaissance that's happened recently but this dual personality now that still inhabits the city and it does seem like the and that's a vast summarization from somebody who's not from here but it seems like the mercantile occupies this perfect spot where it's both historic and immediately relevant right. and so it's a it's a crossroads for populations of Cincinnati that don't normally have anything to do with each other, maybe.
0: It is. It's uh, um, I think of it as an obligation. I mean, I, I think we got, we've got this great place. It's sitting up there. And libraries have to do good work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like your job. If you're not doing good work, well, what the hell are you doing? Um, and we're beholden to no one. We get no tax dollars from anybody. Mm-hmm. So... If a lawmaker comes to us and says, you shouldn't have drag queens, you tell them where to we off. could tell them to kiss my Irish ass. Uh-huh. It's not going to happen. We don't. Right. No one tells us what to do, hmm. um, which sounds super liberating, but it's really onerous. You're like, oh God. How do we know when we're doing it right? How are we doing it right? Are we doing the right things? What's our? Do we have a moral obligation to this city, to yep. this community? Um, and I frankly think we do.
1: Where do you look to for the answer to those questions when you're trying to triangulate? Maybe we'll have somebody and maybe it's somebody you're less familiar with and you're trying to decide if it's the right person or if it's relevant, what it, do you, what do you look to?
0: Well, I think we, I, I think the, the most important thing a lot of times is to just shut up. Um, because people have a lot of good ideas mm-hmm. and I'm not the most well-read person in the world. I always read, I'm always reading I'm a really slow reader. Like, There's a lot of books.
1: I, there's a there's, lot of books out there, There are John. so many books.
0: <laughs> and, like, 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 if you do the math on books, which you really shouldn't, but, like, if you can read, you know, there's people who go a couple years between books. Yeah. It, like, literally. Mm-hmm. They don't, they can count on one hand the number of books they've read for fun since high school. Yeah. It's just not their thing. Mm-hmm. Um. It takes me a long time to read it. I'm not one of those people who reads fifty books a year. So say ten. Yeah. I don't know. Say twenty if you want. I don't care what the number is. My
1: goal was twelve this year. I thought it yeah, was a reasonable I, like, it was like I'm
0: slow, I'm tired at the end of the day, I can't Yeah. But if you start doing the math on you get ten and say like say you're fifty three. I'm mm-hmm. fifty three all right, I got 30 more years left at 10 books a year. Maybe I can pick up the pace when I retire. But <laughs> my God, there's only, that still means I got like 300 books yeah. left. That many books came out today. And 290 of them sucked. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then you got to figure out like, all right, so which 10 books am I going to read this right. year? And I try to read like, I used to have this when I was more ambitious. I was like, two hard ones. I made an air quote. <laughs> <laughs> you're forced to listen to this in your car, please imagine me making a air quote. Um, I used to read like two hard ones and then an easy one. Okay. Um, and now I'm like, nah, screw that. I'm doing like one hard, one easy, one hard, one easy.
1: What qualifies as is, is hard nonfiction? I'll be, the is ju- hard. I'll be the judge of that.
0: <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> um, enough. Like I'm actually reading, all right, here's a perfect example. Uh my favorite author is this woman named Kate Atkinson, mm-hmm. and she has – she's incredible. I think she might be the best living author. She lives in Scotland, and she wrote three books, of fiction about World War II that were like historical novels. Okay. Like truly unbelievable pieces of work. They've all come out in the last decade. Um, they're really hard you invest in that you, you are working mm-hmm. but each sentence is like a miracle right she's that good and she also has this like like literally a crime series <laughs> with Jackson Brody is the <laughs> uh, the the hero and they're high-end crime fiction right on so like my next two books are both atkinson books okay and well, I, I like. So I, are, I had but- to make a choice yesterday. I had to make a choice. Am I mean, going to read the third in that trilogy of the World War II yeah. series, um, or am I going to read the fourth in her Jackson Brody? And I picked up Jackson Brody. I was like, no, I That's can't. The easier one. I, I took the I took the easier path. And I'm, like, five pages into it, and I already love it. Yeah, already, yeah. Already super comfortable with my decision. There's – got
1: to make choices, though. I read that, I, uh, yeah. Stephen King in Hearts in Atlantis. There's a line in there where the character that was later played by Anthony Hopkins in the movie tells the little kid, give it 100 pages. Yeah. It's the author's responsibility. If he doesn't get you a 100 pages,
0: move on. That's reasonable. Yeah. Um, that's a big debate in the book world is, like, how – like. Well, I pretty much fight through every book I've ever started, I, even if it sucks.
1: There are authors there are authors that I love that there have been books that I'll just say, if, if maybe this isn't the right time, or maybe they just weren't on for this book. Son of right. the Circus by John Irving. I picked that up, and about 70 pages in, I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but
0: it's not getting me, and I'm, You're I'm, out. I'm moving on. I like Irving a lot. Um, yeah. I, Bad authors have terrible books. Yeah, yeah. It happens. To, terrible authors have wonderful books. Yeah, sure. On the other side of that coin,
1: but and there's a, and there's time and place and right. what grabs you and I, what doesn't.
0: I I used to love, and this is so nerdy. I still love like nonfiction books about like the ocean or the sea or whatever. Like, and I because like I'm I'm a literalist apparently. Like. If it's a beach book, I'd like to be able to like, <laughs> you see want to be the on, ocean. You want to be on <laughs> <Yes>. the beach. <laughs> like, I think I got that no, wrong I do, when uh, they said this the is a beach thing. book. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I must be on the beach. This is a book about the ocean? Yeah, I can do this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, which is a weird, but two of the greatest books I've ever read are nonfiction books about the ocean and survival that I read because I was like, well, I'm going to be at the beach. I need, so I read The Endurance, Uh um, which is, I think the best nonfiction book I've ever read in my life. It's about uh, in the early 1900s, a boat called The Endurance uh, led by a captain named Shackleton and they were trying to get to the South Pole and the book got, the boat got uh, stuck in the ice and crushed and they were in literally the middle of nowhere. Right. And had no boat and no water, no food. They had nothing. Stuck on an island or uh, I I remember yeah I remember hearing about that. um, And they like they started killing seals and then they made boats and after like two plus years they made it I don't think I'm it's not a spoiler alert. They made it back, <laughs> and and no one died. Wow! And this was like the ninth. This was just before World War One, and I like, I remember you read. I read that book. I was like, man, kids are soft today. Sure. These are like yeah. These are like twenty year olds. All of us. Yeah. And they were like they were like making boats and paddling across. Right. The wide expanses. water <laughs> like, Yes. Oh, good. This water's not frozen anymore. <laughs> and you're I reading guess this. I can make a boat. You're reading go. this on the beach and you're imagining.
1: <laughs> yeah. That sounds cold. Colder times. <laughs> that sounds
0: really cold.
1: <laughs> I love that. I love, you know, when I went to the like the former Soviet Republics. So I was reading Solzhenitsyno and when I went oh, yeah. to like South Africa. I'm, you know, I'm reading Cry the Beloved Country and It's a great like, book. There's something about reading, yeah, something in its place that really does anchor you in the story and make it make it more and more
0: real. I agree with that. But I love reading. Yeah. I'm trying to make my kids readers.
1: Are they Are they
0: picking it up? Uh, maybe. How, how old are you kids? 21, 18, 16, and 12. Wow. Yeah. You're right soon, there. Pretty soon I'll be back to having three teenagers. <laughs> um, two of them are readers. Two of them are not. Okay. But they're starting. I didn't read when I was their age. I read after college. Yeah. I like... Yeah, I say to Luke all the time, I'm like, hey, why don't you read a book? Because I'm that dad. <laughs> You're kind of contractually like, obligated hey, to God say that, aren't uh, <laughs> I can find one for you. There's yeah, 80,000 like, of them within a few steps of my I, desk. And I do bring him back books. Yeah. Uh, but they both recently asked for one. And he reasonably said to me, Dad, I read books all the time in school. He's in high school. Sure. So, and they make those kids read terrible, yeah. terrible, terrible yeah. books. One of these days I want to have an event at the library where we talk about, like, why are we making high school re- kids read, uh, like, uh, the Charles Dickens when yeah. well nothing good honest, has been Dickens written in the last 50 years if you're 16 <laughs> yeah, years know, old seriously he kind of sucks if you're 53 <laughs> years old yes I no but and there's, there's a there's a way there's kids. a
1: way in there but if you're not there why are you going to force them to read it it's not Forcing, like there's not anything good that will accomplish the they same are thing they're
0: teaching kids that reading sucks yeah. and there's so many good YA books out there oh, right yeah, now yeah. that they should say you know what get to Dickens when you want sure like get like Read and never if you don't because he's great but he's not great for everybody. Right. Yeah. He read books that make you love reading. Right. Right. And there are teachers who 100% agree with that, and there are teachers who 100% think that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. You have to teach them the classics. This is these are archetypes, and they might be right. But if you push them away, there's a right or wrong answer. Yeah, but I, I mean, Luke was trying to read Great Expectations last year, and it's a terrible book if you're if you're a kid. Yeah, and I kept saying, you know, get past, and they you know, it's that old English. Yeah, it's it's not easy to access, and I kept saying, well, it's a great story, kid. Stay with it. Sure, story's great. The sentences are awful, but like. Go up to 10,000 feet and enjoy the story. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And his point, a valid one, was why am I reading a story with, you know, I got to go up to 10,000 feet? Sure. Um, I didn't like we'll great expectations. We'll never answer this question.
1: I loved David Copperfield. I didn't like great expectations. It's like right. not everything is for everybody. My, my son is a, is a voracious reader of things that he's really into. Right. <laughs> You know, and so he'll go through, you know, whatever YA fantasy or fiction thing it is, he'll read the whole series of six books in like two days. But if I try to get him, and I'm like, man, I really loved Essie Hinton when I was a teenager, he's like, I don't fucking care.
0: Yeah. Like, he yeah, okay, it. fine. Nor should
1: he? Uh, no, right. Uh, like, it's The great. Outsiders doesn't mean anything to me. Why should it? Like, I don't God. care about the Soches. Like, so those, those are powerful books. Oh, I loved it. I loved that.
0: Yeah, no. I'm, and the movies were so bad. I, it, oh my God, star studded
1: Yeah. awful. Yeah, yeah. But it's like important books at at, at pivotal points no. in your life. Yeah, and, no. I, I and he will read other books that will be the important pivotal books at like right. important points in his life, and they're not mine, and
0: that's got to be okay. Right. Yeah. Those are those books are pretty good. Yeah, this is.
1: Yeah, I know. There's still. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think the fact that the music is on means that we should. It's after four. Pro- probably wrap it up. It is. Yeah. It is after four o'clock, in this place. Did is I open. answer
0: all your questions?
1: Absolutely. I love this, and I love you know the podcast is about work, and it's about how people do. This podcast different is things. about work. It is. Did that co- not come through? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I've <laughs> not done my job. A podcast a- about the soul of work. There it is. Yeah, we talked about your work. All right. If I was to ask I have you, been smarter, no, this was exactly this was <laughs> this was, was, ex- just smart this enough, was exactly Jack. what I wanted because there's like this there's this discussion about work and there's people who, who think that there's one path and that if they're not no, on it? No,
0: there's as many paths as there are choices. Right. How's that? No, that is how's a, that for a bumper sticker. That is exactly uh, it. Yeah. No, <laughs> and that, I love getting that, a little on my Zen calendar. It,
1: it is a it is a good Zen calendar. I'll have to pick that one up. <laughs> no, this has been perfect. Thank you for for wandering up here on a hot and steamy Cincinnati day. Those Thanks are stickers for, this for amazing
0: you. Amazing visual component of if, this podcast. If you
1: never listen to the show, you've at least got the stickers, which are the best component. So.
0: The distiller. So it's like you distill things.
1: Ideas, hopefully.
0: It has nothing to to do with booze. Other
1: than that we drink.
0: All right. No, that's it. Well, now we understand this way more.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming Thanks for having me. really appreciate it. (laughs) This episode of The Distiller was recorded live at Vodka Bar, serving spirits and cuisine from the old country at 1200 Main Street in over the Rhine, Cincinnati, Ohio, Thanks to Sarah and the crew for hosting us. If you are in or around Cincinnati and have not been to Vodka Bar yet, spelled Vodka Bar, you are missing out. The place is beautiful and welcoming. You can see Kyle Wolf's beautiful photos of our time there for proof on our website. The drinks are unique and delightful. The pierogies, the caviar, and the sauerkraut are authentic and delicious. Stop by and enjoy, and please tell Sarah you heard it on the distiller when you do. Thanks so very much to John Faherty, Executive Director of the Mercantile Library, for spending a hot Friday Cincinnati afternoon with us. The historic Mercantile Library is located at 414 Walnut Street on the 11th and 12th floors in downtown Cincinnati, Ohio. And you can stop by, take a look, and visit even if you're not a member. But once you visit, you will want to be one. John, along with Amy Hunter and the staff of the library have so much going on from the words and music series we talked about to their famous Niehoff lecture series, weekly book clubs and other one-off events. Go to our website at thedistillerpodcast.com where we have photos of the library and links to their website and social media pages. If you live in Cincinnati, please think about becoming a member. It's a significant act of intellectual rebellion and a cultural investment you will not regret. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson. Our show is mixed and edited by Justin Golden. Beautiful photos for this episode are by the amazing Kyle Wolf. You can find links to more of her work on our website as well. Our logo was designed by Scott Ryan and our videos are by Mike Helm of Minute Moments Pictures. You can find The Distiller wherever you listen to podcasts and you can listen and download every episode of the show at thedistillerpodcast.com where you can also find links, photos of the guests, and a map of all of our show locations. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell somebody about it. You can do that by following, liking, and sharing our posts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to help us make more of these episodes, just click the Become a Patreon button on our website for more information and finally please take a second to rate and review the distiller wherever you listen and help us get the word out about the show we love to hear from you you can always email us at mail at the distillerpodcast.com or write us on social media and tell us who you think should be on the distiller to talk about their search for meaningful work or where you think we should record the next episode whether it's by email on facebook twitter or instagram please drop us a line and let us know you're listening until next time I'm Brandon Dawson. Thanks for listening to The Distiller. Bye-bye.